I'm Dorothy Wickenden. On today's Politics and More podcast, The New Yorker's Susan Glasser talks with Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. Klobuchar has been discussed as a potential 2020 presidential candidate, but she says that whether she runs or not, the party will need a platform that appeals to the Midwest if they hope to take back the White House. So we're standing here in the soaring atrium of the Senate Hart office building. It's the only modern office building of the three Senate office buildings. And, you know, it doesn't get a lot of love, but I actually have always liked it in particular because there's this grand marble atrium and is totally dominated by this huge Alexander Calder sculpture called Mountain and Clouds. It's a gigantic black steel thing. And of course, it ends at a very pointy top at the top of those mountains, which always seemed to me to be the perfect metaphor in some ways for Capitol Hill, where pretty much everybody is looking to get to the top. Glasser was on Capitol Hill that day to speak with Amy Klobuchar, who was elected to the Senate from Minnesota in 2006. Klobuchar recently made an impression on many observers of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings when she questioned the judge on his early drinking habits, and he answered sharply and then later had to apologize. She was just reelected by a wide margin in the midterms, and she's one of the many Democratic senators who's considering a run for the presidency in 2020. Susan Glasser spoke with Amy Klobuchar in her office just last week. Uh, I know, you know, this sort of Washington Beltway reporters are constantly going out to see the rest of the country and saying, what's happening there? How do you talk to Trump voters? So you've actually talked to Trump voters and gotten them to vote for you. What what are the one or two ways that you did that? Well, I think the first is that you have to show up and you have to go not just where it's comfortable, but where it's uncomfortable. And that's why I visited all 87 counties every year. Um, one time I found myself in a business called Insect Inferno because we had run out of places to visit. It was near the Canadian border, a Trump County. And I was uh, in this um, truck and it said on the outside of it, Insect Inferno, we kill bed bugs with heat. And the whole concept was they would drive around and you put mattresses in them and then they would put the temperature up to 300 degrees. So when I was in there, they put it up to only 100. But Again, I thought to myself, you go not just where it's comfortable, but where it's uncomfortable. And to me, that means being there. So that's the first measure um, and not avoiding it. And then two, understanding that not one size fits all. There are issues that transcend urban rural, like, for instance, you don't want to kick people off of their insurance for pre-existing conditions. That was something that you saw Democrats run on and win on. Mm -hmm. But then there are other issues that are unique. Um, And I would put um, critical access hospitals, um, rural broadband. Most people in urban areas don't have to worry about that. And a lot of parts of our rural countryside can't even access Uh, cell phone service, much less broadband. Their cell phones keep going in and out. And I don't understand, as I pointed out to the Farmers Union, how you can have uh, rural cell phone service all over Iceland and not in northern Minnesota. But I got to ask you, Donald Trump obviously isn't talking to people about rural broadband service, right? You know, he wasn't, he's not a technocrat. He's not immersed in the details of policy. Arguably, he's not even all that ideological, or he has a mishmash of different ideologies. So 
it's great that there are issues that appeal to different people, but does that still matter as much in this sort of post-ideological age? I think it matters when someone makes promises and then time goes on and your life hasn't changed. So Mm -hmm. I do think it matters. And when you add disruptions in and chaos that make things hard for you. So I think those things matter. But I think what you're getting at, which is really values, and it is kind of the argument um, that I feel in rural and I think helped me to get support is that you really have to go to the core of what kind of person do you want to have in the White House that your kids watch on TV when they're learning their civics lesson and the Pledge of Allegiance in first and second grade? The second thing is that Donald Trump just doesn't talk policies and facts. In fact, he oftentimes um, is gives statements that are completely contrary to the evidence, like what he just said on climate change when his own administration um, predicted dire consequences from climate change. So I think you not just have to meet him with facts, and you certainly don't want to go down every rabbit hole with him, but we have to meet him with emotion. And it doesn't have to be negative emotion. It can be positive emotion. So when he starts talking about caravans and mobs and all those things. You know what I say? I say when I talk to our people about pre-existing conditions, I just don't use that boring term that a lot of people don't quite know what it means. I tell the story of a woman coming up to me in a parade uh, with her baby carriage with a kid in it. And she says, "Um, you know what? This is my son. I'll do anything for him in the world. He has Down syndrome. He is a pre-existing condition. This is what a pre-existing condition looks like. So you say, you know what, President Trump, really your administration is arguing to kick people off their insurance for pre-existing conditions? This is the kid you're talking about. So I think it's very important to respond to him, but to not let it dominate what your own agenda is. Um, A lot of people remember your star turn in the Kavanaugh hearings. You're asking about, yeah, blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just, so you, that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Yeah, nor do I. Okay, thank you. Your response to Kavanaugh was so kind of straightforward, unpersonalized, uh, a different kind of politics than we're used to. Do you see a lasting effect here up here in the Senate as a result of that incredibly traumatic, I think for a lot of people, uh, uh, confirmation hearing on both sides, actually? It was. But when you really go to the guts of what happened, um, you had a situation where a nominee decided Um, at a very critical hearing where a woman who my own colleagues on the other side of the aisle said she had great credibility had come forward, and then he decided to politicize it um, in his statements, um, the way that he literally attacked Democratic senators. And I said the next day, excuse me, we can't control sometimes what happens in the criminal justice system or in politics. Things come at you that you wish you hadn't gotten. The question is not, does that happen? The question is, when you're in a position of power, what do you do about it? So my plea to my colleagues was, we need an investigation. We need to make sure that this doesn't happen again in terms of having information hidden and 42,000 documents dumped on us the day before. So do I hope that this changed things because it was so traumatic? Yes. Do I know how this is going to go with the next opening? No, I don't. 
Do you think that he still should be investigated? I mean, is, should the matter rest now that well, it's been confirmed? I think that there are some, I know there's some complaints that are being in the court system. I mean, that would be the procedural way to handle them, but there's no open way for us to do that now. Um, and my own experience with this was just, uh, yeah, I was pretty shocked when he shot back at me when I was simply asking him questions. And then he, I felt it was very important for the dignity of the um, of Dr. Ford and the dignity of the Senate and the dignity of our country to not go down there with him and uh, to not uh, land where he landed because I think there's way too much of this going on in politics, starting with the White House. You know, dignity is definitely not the word that is going to come to mind when people write histories of this moment <laughs> in Washington. Senator Klobuchar, uh, final lightning round here. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you in terms of running for 2020? Well, I, as I've said before, I am considering it, uh, but I never rate scale things. Uh, our beauty contest numbers, um, so I'm not going there. But I um, have been talking to uh, people uh, in my state and people around the country about it. Uh, I think that uh, there are a lot of good people considering this, but I do think you want voices um, from the Midwest. Um, and I think you want to have people with different views running. I think it's really important to have that. I don't think it's bad that we have a competition uh, for the nomination at this um, key moment in our nation's history. You know, you say you want voices from the Midwest. So 2016 was was decided in the Midwest. Uh, is there a risk of overlearning uh, the last battle, uh, refighting oh, the last war? Good question. I think th- this will all... Um, basically sort itself out. Um, it won't always be pretty, but I think that a lot of the people, candidates <laughs> is not it probably be won't end up at that <laughs> number. Um, but I do think on the Midwestern front, uh, my husband is the third of six kids and his um, mom, they grew up in a trailer home and they would have, they would go out on uh, vacation and um, oftentimes when they came out of the gas station, she would have them each count off to make sure they were all in the car because my husband was always the sweet, quiet one, and she was afraid he would be left at the gas station. And the Midwest was left at the gas station, and we're not going to let that happen again. Um, and I think that is more than a metaphor just for the Midwest. It was a lot of um, middle-class um, voters. It was a lot of citizens that felt that they weren't getting a fair shake in the system, that they were like having to ration their insulin, like a kid that died in Minnesota, a restaurant manager uh, recently was doing. They weren't feeling like they were treated right. And I think our party and whoever is our nominee has to be able to respond to those people in a way that we weren't doing in that last election. Senator Amy Klobuchar, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Susan Glasser is a staff writer for The New Yorker, and you can find her column, Letter from Trump's Washington, every week at NewYorker.com.